Welcome to Hello Governor of the Podcast. As always, I am Abdullah, and everything sucks right now, so here's Aaron Fitzgerald. <laughs> oh, Abdullah, everything sucks right now, so here's Aaron Fitzgerald. That might be the best intro uh, ever known to time. I may also suck too, so be warned, but um, at least I'll be on theme. No, I, I just... Man, it's <laughs> it's getting harder and harder for me to just do these shows and pretend like I'm not living in a nightmarish reality where everything sucks. Right. And well, and it, like... let, let, let me just because today is the day I am glued to uh, Katanji Brown Jackson's confirmation hearing. There are like this woman is giving me new life, new hope, new strength. So there are, for every negative thing, there is a positive thing. So that there is a balance to the universe. Things cannot be too positive or too negative. Everything ends up neutral at some point. So things may appear to suck, but pay attention and look around because there's going to be things around you that don't suck. And what are the real resistance to things that suck is to focus on the things that don't suck because practicing joy and contentment in your life is the actual power you have to resist the things that want to take those things away from you. That is the resistance to all of that negative energy. The negative energy can't dominate because that wouldn't bring balance to the universe. So you have to, you have to have both. So there may be negative things in certain areas. Absolutely. And they suck to all levels of suckageness, but pay attention to the positive things around you the blessings that are near you, the blessings that you can provide to others, the gifts of kindness. That's where your attention should be because what you focus on expands, period, point blank, quantum physics 101. No, I totally agree with you because um, yesterday I was like having, you know, a pretty shitty day and I was just thinking about like, you know, just like life and where mm. where we're headed and what have you. And yeah. I was like... You know what? I, I like sometimes doing this show is really hard because and and to anyone listening to this who comes up to me and says like, man, I really liked that episode you did with so and so and what have you. I, I, I honestly want to say thank you. And if you enjoyed that episode, understand that that person was a yes in a pool of thousands of no's. So, yeah, I, well, that's, I do. That's life. Yeah. I deal with so many rejections and it gets to me. It really does. Yeah, but Abdul Abdullah, that is real life. That is real. Every single person every day gets thousands of, of rejections. That is my job professionally to get thousands of rejections every year. Thousands. And we're talking thousands of rejections every year. If I focused on the rejections, then I would not be doing this as a career. What I focus on is what manifests, what is meant for me, because what is meant for me shows up. What is meant for me cannot be deterred. The no's are all the things that were not meant for you, that weren't going to vibe with your show, that doesn't line up with whatever it is your intention is and your mission is. If you focus on the no's, then you're not focusing on the life part of life. The life part of life is looking at what is showing up for you. 
what is here? There, there's this amazing quote I've been contemplating on the last two weeks, and I feel like this is right on topic. It's from a book called The Awakened Heart by uh, Harold Klemp. It's on page 74, and it says, there is a step beyond prophecy. This is the ability to live in the moment. So in the moment, there aren't thousands of no's. In the moment, there is you and I having this conversation. This is what this moment is. So this is a huge yes, right here. We're doing the yes. And the yeses, the power of the yeses, and the quality of the yeses are so much higher than a quantity of no's. The no's aren't what's important. What's important is whether or not you choose to keep going and know that what is meant for you will come for you. And it does. That's why you haven't quit. No, no. I was just about to say, like, there are times where I want to quit, but I, I, you know, I get up and re-listen to some old episodes and I just realize, like, look, this show isn't just me just talking to people. I have made friends on this show. I've had people who say, who've told me, like, what you're doing is great because you are giving people who don't have like that that big of a platform or don't have that many credits like a platform to like talk about what they do and it's like i never thought of it that way because i wow i like i don't discriminate i'm like i don't care if you have like two credits to your to your name or like a thousand credits if you've done something i'm a fan of or i'm interested in talking about like let's talk about it you know i love it I love it. I love it. And that's why, like, yeah, the no's suck. And, you know, it does get to me. But I mean, it, it, does, it does. It does. It does. That's honest. I like the honesty because it does, you know, and we all we all have those days for sure. No, but, but I mean, like, it does get to me. But I, I just keep telling myself, look, either you focus on either you can just sit here and be depressed about not getting this person that you really want to get on the show or you can just look at what you have, you know, on the plate and go out there and make it the best episode you can possibly make it. Cause you know what, man, with the way things are going right now, I don't know if like how long we're going to be doing this to be quite honest. There you go. You know, well, it could all end tomorrow, right? That's the way life has always been since the beginning of time. There, nothing is guaranteed to us. We are not guaranteed long lives. We are not guaranteed comfort. We are not, there is no guarantee for being alive other than being alive until you are no longer there. So all you can do is the best you can in every moment. That's it. That's all you have is this moment. That's it. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You just don't know. So why not make the most out of this moment? Because it may be the last one. We never know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm, remi- I'm uh, reminded of one of my favorite Simpsons quotes where um, Homer is talking to Bart about morality and he's like, well, you know, nothing is for certain. You could wake up dead tomorrow. Well, good night. <laughs> exactly. But it, what you're talking about is, you know, it, this is an existential conversation. It is who am I? It is why am I here? It is why do we exist? Why is all this going on? And, and these are and these are questions that no one has real answers to because it's so subjective. But for me, the only thing that I can come back to day after day, and it's the only answer I give myself because that's the only person who can answer those questions for you is yourself. It boils down to I'm here to give and receive love 
every day of my life. That's it. I'm here to give and receive love because I know if I died tomorrow and I did my best to give and receive love the day before, then that's the only thing I really needed to do. So for me, I just keep it simple. I keep it simple. What is it that I can do for someone else today out of kindness? That's going to make me feel good, which is really funny that, you know, I do, it's kind of a selfish act doing something for kindness because it makes me feel good. But it does. It opens my heart. And then I'm able to be present with others more and be there for the hard times, which everyone is experiencing. Everyone is going through huge challenges, huge shifts, huge hard times. And it's different for each person. So it's so important to me. That's that's how I approach it, because, you know, what else is there? No, no, exactly. Because we can just sit here all day and be like, oh, man, everything sucks. Everything's terrible, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just like, you know what? I'm, you know, it's it's okay to just walk away from social media because. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You just said the biggest (laughs) mental health boost possible. That is such a, like, take two days off. Imagine how much better you will feel. It's so true. I mean, it's just, it's just okay. That's a good technique. I mean, it's just okay to, to, to walk away from social media because, like, there's nothing for you there anyway. Like, there's, like, you're not missing It just hits of dopamine. As an ADHD person, I get dopamine from social media, which is why I enjoy it. But when I stop doing social media, I do things like go outside, <laughs> you know, where there's sunshine and, and birds and butterflies. And I'm like, oh, this is nice, too. But you're right. Yeah, it's important to everything should be done in moderation, particularly social media. And... I, you know, I bring up social media because one of the things I am not a fan of, you know, where the business is going is this idea of, hey, you kind of need to be on social media. I'm like, no, you don't really need to to be on social media because like, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that actors should let the work speak for itself. Like you don't need to be on social media. You don't need to create this brand. It's like, look, I'm just an actor. I'm not this like TikTok influencer. Well, well uh, the bottom line, Abdallah, I mean, let's be realistic. Whether there was the internet or not, business is still business. And acting is a craft, but it is run by the ind- the entertainment industry, which is a business. So what, I'm, I've been around since before the internet, okay? So I started acting before I could brand myself and promote myself on social media. And it was much harder back then. A lot more money was spent on making, um, mailing, mailing out things. You had to mail out things to all these people in order for them to have been heard of you. So it's an illusion to think you don't have to promote yourself in this industry, whether there was internet or not. You still have to promote yourself. You still have to get your face in front of the people, especially if you're starting out. Because how else is, you don't have a body. I have a body of work now that people can refer to. People can look me up and my body of work is there. So. I I don't have to do it as intensely as I did at the beginning of my career. But the beginning of my career, I spent hundreds of dollars in mailing out headshots, demos, uh, resumes to hundreds of people who I had never met, hoping one of them would give me a chance. Well, social media made that so much easier. First of all, it's free. Second of all, I can actually show bits of my work on social media. I can, you know, you. I love the people who create their own content, who are making 
making their own stuff, putting it on YouTube, recording themselves, you know, videoing themselves, recording behind the mic so people can see their characters. There's a thousand different ways to uh, show off what you have now that, that the internet has made that a lot easier. Not to say that you have to have thousands of followers. I don't think that's um, important, although I know that, it, you know, certain producers, that's a big deal. But that comes and goes. But if you're showing what you do, then the internet is a much easier way to show off what you can do than having to mail things out. Because I promise you, nobody opened those things anyway, and it was just a waste of all my money. So, I mean, it's important to have everything. You are a business. You, uh, My name, Erin Fitzgerald, is my brand. It has to be in order for me to, like after 20 years of this, I want to be able to ride on my brand. I want my brand to speak for itself. My talent is part of my brand. What I have built in terms of experience is part of my brand. And I need that to be out there so people know so that they hire me. If they don't know about me or they have forgotten about me, that is not good for me booking work. And I like to work and I like the money that comes with work. <laughs> so I like all the tools that make that easier. And there are just tools is all it is. Social media is just a tool. It doesn't have to be your everything. It doesn't have to be the only thing, but it is another tool that you get to use that makes your life easier and it's free. So I suggest try it and use it in a way that makes you happy. Don't do it in, the, in a way that makes you miserable. Don't, don't become um, tied to it so that it feels like a ball and chain, but definitely use it in a way that, it, that you feel inspired, that makes you feel happy, and definitely don't use it for views because it you don't, doesn't have to be seen by a lot of people. It just needs to be seen by the right people. No, I totally agree with you because I remember having this conversation years ago when I first started doing the podcast like this was like 10 years ago. And, you know, I, I talked to this guy and he's like, look, if you're if you are serious about doing a podcast, you need to promote it. And everyone's on social media right now. And like, I don't care how you how you personally feel about it. You kind of need to be on social media to promote your, you know, get your name out there and what have you. And it's like, but I, but I'm like, I don't need social media and what, what have you, it doesn't do anything for me, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, look, I'm not having this debate with you. You need to be on social media. If this is something you want to do. It's free advertising, yeah. Abdullah. Would you yeah. rather pay for, you know, you could pay for a billboard or a commercial on TV. That is incredibly expensive to get the word out of your podcast. Social media is free. It's free promotion. And if you get people to promote it for you, listeners who will promote it for you and you provide, you know, like, hey, I'll send you a T-shirt. I'll send you a cup. You know, if people promote it for you, again, it's free. Like, they're, the only way to promote your business, there's paid ways and then there's the social media way. And that's the only reason people are encouraging social media methods because you don't have to, it, it doesn't break the bank. You don't have to have a marketing budget for social media. Oh no, I, I'm I'm totally used to just like being like, hey, you know, here's the thing I did. Here's a new episode. Here's the links. You know, if you want to listen to it, good, cool. If not, whatever. You know, it doesn't make a difference yeah. to me. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. Because because I mean that's what I do at the end of the day. It's like, look, this is something I recorded. I had fun doing it. Or you know, here's something we you know this is what we talked about. Blah blah blah. And you can either listen to it and, and decide that this is like something you like or not. Yeah. And at the end exactly. of the day, it's like, 
Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it is what I'm trying to exactly. say. Exactly. Yeah. Me neither. Me neither. I do not leave, lose sleep over it. <laughs> but I mean, speaking of your work, like how did, like, how did this, like, how did we get here? Like, how did, you know, how did you get started? Well, I, I, I started acting when I was three, not knowing it was acting. Um, because of course, why would I know? I, I would watch, and I'm, I'm, I was born in 72. So I need you to understand what kind of content was available to me in 1972. So you, all you had was a television or the radio and the television was very heavily programmed. And and at that time, very Christian programmed. So I got some cartoons, very few. Uh, when I turned eight years old is when they, they had the Saturday, Saturday morning cartoon kick, uh, which was, you know, basically made my life but before that i would just watch you know sesame street mr rogers some canadian programming because i'm from canada that was made for children and then i would have to wait all week until sunday nights when they would play the disney movie disney would air a disney sunday night movie every sunday and that was the only way i saw real children's content there was not a lot of it it was mostly grown-up uh white white christian people on tv which is fine, but it was definitely not appealing to me at three or four. <laughs> and so I, uh, I used to just act out the movies I saw. I would dine out on whatever movie was on Sunday night all week until the next movie. So if it was Peter Pan, I would act the whole movie out all week to relive the movie in my imagination all week until the next movie. And then I had a neighbor who was in her 90s, and I used to go over to her place and act out the Sunday night movies for her because she didn't have a television. So I was already acting at three, four years old. So I was always attracted to theater and drama and dancing and performance. I just loved it. I always did it. I didn't know you could make money at it. It didn't matter that I could make money at it. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And I did it all the time. I made up sketches. I acted in my backyard. I forced people in the neighborhood to watch. I would make up dances, make my sister choreograph. I would do it whatever city I lived in, whatever was going on. I constantly was working at this. It was something I was obsessed with. Then I found out that they were paid. They were paid people who could get paid to do this. And I thought it was only in theater. Didn't occur to me about television until I was 16. When I was 16, I got my first job as an extra on a television series called Denim Blues that was shot in Ottawa. And Sandra Oh was actually one of the leads on the show. And at the time, I remember standing just as an extra in a high school hallway watching Sandra Oh at 16. And she, she, she was the most talented of the entire cast. She just was so brilliant and funny and her timing was amazing. And I just remember watching her for, for like an entire summer and trying to learn how to be a better actor, just watching her at, at her craft. And then I went from that experience to lo just theater, lots of theater. I focused mo mainly on theater um, because I was very, I was too big of a performer for, for on camera. I was definitely too, um, I would use the word cartoony now, but at the time they didn't call it cartoony. They just called it, a, I was very broad. My character work was very broad. 
And uh, so I did theater. I studied at a university. I, I, I auditioned to get into a university theater program at University of Victoria. I did four years there. They started with 76 um, acting students. And every year you would have to get accepted to continue in the program. By the fourth year, there was only seven of us. And somehow I made the cut. Um, and I was not the most talented, but I definitely was very hardworking. And I made it to fourth year and I got my degree in acting specialization. And then I moved to Vancouver <clears throat> and I started uh, working in film and television and doing theater as well. Um, and it was there that uh, it was somebody, it, another actor named Michael Dobson wondered why I wasn't doing cartoons. And it didn't occur to me because there was no such thing as voice actors. When you were hired as an actor and you got an agent, your agent represented you for everything. It was either you could, your agent could send you for theater auditions, for on-camera auditions, or for behind the mic auditions. Um, so there really wasn't a voice. If you were a character actor, you were perfect for anything. And I, I am a character actor and I always have been. And so uh, when I put together my first demo, um, one of the first auditions I had was for a channel that was just starting up to play cartoons 24 hours a day, which was not even heard of. Like, it seemed absurd. And it was called Cartoon Network in America. We did not get Cartoon Network in Canada. And I booked my first job, which was Ed, Ed and Eddie on Cartoon Network. Um, and I never even saw it. I never even saw the show because we didn't have it in Canada. We was recording the show, never saw the show. And uh, I worked on a show for Cartoon Network uh, UK from Vancouver. And after, and around two, uh, the year 2000, I moved to Los Angeles, not to pursue a career, which would be the logical thing. I was following a boy um, that I was in love with that was moving to LA and said, you should come with me. And I was like, mm. And then um, I was told that I would never make it as an actor in L.A. because the only reason I worked in Vancouver was because I was cheap. That was an older white man who told me that um, in Vancouver. And uh, I think he was just mad that I was doing something that he always wanted to do. And so I moved to L.A. and I thought I had to give up acting because I didn't think I was talented enough to compete with the people in Los Angeles. Um, but just like when I was three, I, I, I love the craft. So it didn't matter whether I got paid or not. So I just started doing whatever I could because I needed to, I needed to express that side of myself because without it, I was very depressed. Um, and a, a job showed up out of nowhere. I got a work visa. I got my whole career started all over again from scratch, even though I had, you know, achieved huge success in Vancouver, starting out in LA. Nobody gave a crap about my credits from Canada. Uh, even though it was Cartoon Network, they didn't care. And I had to start rebuilding my entire career over again. So since 2000, I have rebuilt my career and, from scratch in cartoons and video games mainly. Um, and so, a little bit of anime, but mostly cartoons and video games. And, um, and that's where I am now. I think that's the whole story in a Reader's Digest kind of condensed version. Yeah, it's interesting looking at your career because like there are like two sides to it. Like there's the early, early days, you know, the Edit and Eddie days. There's like the, the Vancouver era, shall we call yeah, it? Like the Vancouver that's true. Era. Yeah, the Vancouver, you're right the Vancouver era and the LA era and it's just totally Correct. different and it fascinates me because like I've never seen someone who especially in the world of voiceover like completely reinvent just reinvent everything like 
you know, just completely. Well, you have no choice. It's it's moving to another country, right? Like I spent four years in Vancouver. That's all, that's all I spent from 96 to 2000. I moved, I graduated university in 94, in 95. Yeah, I guess not. Okay. No, six years in Vancouver. So 94, I moved to Vancouver, 94 to 2000. I lived in Vancouver. When you move to a new country, anybody who's an immigrant knows this. Um, you have, I had to sell everything I owned. It wasn't just rebuilding my career. I had to rebuild life from scratch. So I went from six figures to nothing, nothing. I had no, I had no furniture. I had nothing. I had nothing to my name. I couldn't work when I first got here because I didn't have a work visa yet. It was, it was hard living. And anybody who's moved from another country, I didn't have, I didn't come with a work visa. That did not happen. I came without one and it took me uh, two years before I got my work visa. Uh, so it was two years of nothing, of absolute um, living on, you know, sleeping on the, a carpet, um, doing odd jobs that I could for cash. Um, it, you know, really hard living, survival living, which if you've never left your country, you have never experienced unless you've fallen upon terribly hard times. So it was a really important learning experience for me because um, kind of like deleting everything I had and starting from scratch. Now, of course, I have family. So I had a support system um, at, in Canada that like if if things didn't work out for me in America. I can always go home that I'm so I'm, I knew that I had, I'm white and I'm privileged in that sense that I had that support system. So I had, you know, being white and an immigrant, very different experience from not being white and, and an immigrant as I hung out with a lot of immigrants who did not have the privileges that I was afforded and rebuilding everything career-wise as a female you know like at the time in the 2000s uh, there was one female to every 20 male cast members which is pretty much still the same uh, a video game can have 600 male characters and maybe two female characters uh although i, I think the last two years that's been finally shifting really in, a, in an aggressive manner but prior to that you know all the women we were all fighting for the one role um so yeah, it was just a long, hard road. It wasn't easy. It wasn't handed to me um, in a sense, but I was privileged because I was white. So I was booking parts, you know, because I was a white woman, um, which definitely I'm aware of now that I wasn't aware of then. So, you know, I, it was definitely not as hard as it could have been. Um, but I still rebuilt it all. And, and here I am. So yeah, so six years compared to 22 years, it, you know, time it time is the factor so whatever you're building for yourself whether you have a podcast whatever you're doing you know things don't happen overnight i i didn't rebuild my career once i got my work visa and all of a sudden i had a career again no 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 it took 10 years before i was working regularly um it took 10 years before i i felt confident in in booking work, work it took 10 years before people were just calling me for work it took a long time and then add another 10 years to get to where i am now so uh, that's a lot of currency in terms of experience and meeting people and people experiencing me at work but this industry has a high turnover of people so the people that i came in under no longer work they're they've moved on or they've retired and now it's a whole new group of people who have no idea who i am uh, and that i have to you know take an effort to 
to make sure that I'm introduced and I meet people, but I'm, I'm not a networker in the sense that I don't, I don't falsely create reasons to meet with people. I kind of let the universe bring people into my world at the time they're meant I'm meant to meet them and I go with the flow. I'm a very go with the flow person now, but I was definitely a hustler back in the 2000s. And that's definitely something that's shifted for me. Well, I mean, you kind of had to be back then because like you said, like mm -hmm. they, they <laughs> I made this joke in a previous episode, but like, it's funny looking back at like some of the 2000s shows now and realizing like there were only like three women doing all the voices. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because, because man, the industry just did not like the idea of bringing in new people back then. They were like, no, Whoa. I mean, on Monster High, I played nine characters on Monster High. Nine. <laughs> and that was a cast filled with women. Why? <laughs> Why? That, that... Well, my ego would like to think it's because I'm so talented. And that's what my ego thought at the time was like, oh, I'm so talented. They gave me nine roles. Look at me. Um, now I realize they just didn't want to hire more people. They didn't want to spend more money and it was cheaper. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I understand like sometimes like, oh, they got to save money. But it's like at some point you people will get sick of hearing like the same two or three voices and everything. So, well, I don't use the same voices, right? So I play different characters. So my characters do not sound like each other. No, I mean, I mean, just, <clears> that's <throat> my ego. That's my ego flexing right there. That's my ego going, Hey, whoa, 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 back off, back off. I do not sound the same. I am a character actor. All my characters sound different. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I, and I like that. I like that you actually, try to make every character sound different instead of just like, Hey, you know, just no, 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 it. no. Abdullah, this is not about sound. There's no such thing as voice acting. I'm a character actor. I become different characters. I don't have to, uh, like, mm, I don't, I, that's just part of the craft, right? So the craft isn't about doing voices. Doing voices is a party trick. The craft is becoming different characters. Each character has a completely different body of different background, a different place that they're from, different family, different everything. So because of each character being so unique, they do not sound the same because they don't have the same rhythm, pacing, accent, uh, body size, uh, you know, some of them aren't human. Like each character can sound completely unique because of those things. And those are the qualities that end up coming out through the mouth and through the vocal cords. But the work isn't done by the vocal cords. It's done by the whole body. Well, yeah. But you obviously. don't see us, right? <laughs> you don't see you don't see us performing behind the mic. So all you hear is the vocal performance. But most of us who are trained character actors, we, we embody the whole character. You just don't see that. Uh, yeah. I mean, never really thought about it that way. Before. <laughs> <laughs> well, yay. I made you think about it. That's my goal to teach everybody that we are more than just voices. No. And I, I just like, this is like, you bring up a great point because I really, it really annoys me when people just get, really annoyed where they're like, ah, oh, voice actors aren't real actors, blah, blah, blah. It's like, fuck you, man. You know, like they, they, they put more effort into creating characters than more, most live action stuff nowadays. You know? Well, it's a different format. Like it's not, a, it's not about more effort. There's no such thing. If you're a light, cause being on camera is no joke. 
You cannot move your body. You cannot move your face. You have to stand still. That is a disciplined form of acting. And your voice has to be really, really quiet. Like it's a form almost like to a whisper. You have to get a lot of performance out with very minimal. It's like the minimalist form of acting. And it is a hard craft. So to be a character without getting to completely embody it because you come off too big on camera, um, it's very, very difficult. That's a whole crap. Like I am not a fan of on camera camera for myself because I'm such a broad character actor I fit better on stage in cartoons and video games that's just because naturally I'm cartoony so for the people who do that artistry on film and television it is a different kind of difficult it's a different it's a whole different format of the same craft and it's important to learn all of the different types of acting so that you know where you shine you know what you're best at but it's definitely not one is not easier than the other and one does not work harder than the other. They're just different. Yeah, yeah, true. No, it's just respect the craft. It, it just <laughs> so it just... whether it's on camera, on stage, or behind the mic, it's all acting, and acting is acting, and the acting is being the character so much that you're always responding and reacting as that character. You're feeling as that character. You are being that character at all times in all situations that that character has been presented to. I totally agree with you because, but but I mean, it just annoys me then when people be when people look down on voice voice actors, and I'm just like, look, I don't get a lot of that. I don't know who <laughs> are the people that are doing that. I really don't hear a lot of that. Oh no, because recently, like, there's a con coming up. Uh, I think it's like next weekend, and they announced a voice actor guest on Instagram, and everyone was like being pissy, and I'm just like, God. who's everyone? Maybe one person was being pissy. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we generalize that it's a lot of people when maybe it's one or two voices. You know what I mean? You, we don't, people don't have to like what I do or like me. That's fine. They might like on camera actors better. They might like theater actors better. Everybody can have their preference. Uh, and there's always going to be, you know, people who don't like what you do. That's just real life, but it's not everybody. It's not everybody was like. It's like a few people might have said something, but it wasn't everybody. <laughs> yeah, true. But I mean, it's, just, it's still annoying because it's like, look, we don't get a lot of cons here. And, you know, just just let the people who enjoy the, the you know, voice actors be happy that some, you know, a vo that they booked a voice actor for, for the event, you know? Well, not everybody has to be happy about everything. Like there could be a special effects guy and that may not interest half the people going to the con, but for half the people, they might be like, oh my God, I really want to see that special effects guy. So it's fine. It, it, people don't have to, you know, as long as there's something for everybody, that's the good news. <clears throat> I, I guess, but it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I don't really like... I feel like social media is just making people just be negative for no reason whatsoever. And I just don't like that. Well, I don't know what to tell you because I don't feel the same way. I don't feel it's like that. I don't know. You know, cause I, I all I see on my feed is just people complaining about stuff. And I'm just like, well, you... that's interesting because your feed is an algorithm based on what you're paying attention to. So your, your algorithm feeding you things that are like that might be an indication of where, where your, your energy is sitting and you might want to shift that, pay attention to what you're following. I know it's that way with TikTok, 
So whatever you're watching on TikTok, I, I mean, the only thing that shows up for me on TikTok is, you know, powerful women, uh, puppy dogs, uh, you know, girls, gays and theys, wonderful, happy content. So that's what I put my attention on. So that's what the algorithm feeds me because it knows I'm engaged with that. So you, you may want to look at that. That could be something that you just make a slight adjustment for yourself and that might change for you. Because on Twitter, it's the same thing. I don't follow people that are, are um, doomsayers. I follow people that are inspiring me. I follow people that uh, make me want to work hard. I follow people that um, make me think of things in a new way, a different outlook, a different perspective. I follow people that I learn from. So you, that's, you, know, you, you can manicure that. You can decide who you're following. You can decide what you put into your eyeballs and your ears. <laughs> I highly recommend it. It is very freeing. And also there's a block button, which is my favorite. <laughs> it's it's just, I don't know. I feel like I feel like the older I get, the less I understand people, the less I understand why why anything is the way it is anymore. It's just like, yeah. I think that's a normal introspection. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, what are we mad about today, internet? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. but, but but I mean, like it's it's whatever. I I just feel like basically what I'm saying is like don't be a dick to people. Is is, is what I'm trying True. to say. Like just, I like that. Just don't. don't I I agree uh, with that. Like like just don't be a dick to people when or just don't throw a temper tantrum when things don't go your way or whatever. Just 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 be a decent human being is just all I'm asking. Like, don't, <laughs> do, don't, don't go that reactionary route and just, you know, completely shit the bed <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, <clears throat> so um, you you do a lot of anime and video games. I'm just wondering, like, what would I actually you... don't do a lot of anime. I have very, I, I have like maybe ten anime titles over a twenty something twenty five year career. Uh, I I just never get hired for anime very often. But I do a lot of games that are originated in Japan, or I used to do a lot of games that were Japanese RPGs. So I think that's where people get confused because I'm in RPGs, JRPGs. Um, but now I've mostly uh, been working for Blizzard and um, other other games and Storybot. So that's where the last four years have been focused is Blizzard and Storybots, my Netflix series. Um, that's mostly it now. But yeah, I did work for a lot of Japanese um, video games. And, th and that's different than anime because I don't have to dub. So anime, so foreign dubbing is when something is already completed, a, whether it's live action or animation, but it's from another country. So it's from it's in a different language, and then that content comes here, and it's done. What's called localized, where someone goes over the original language script and changes it enough so that it would fit in with Western culture and Western um, slang, ideologies, all that sort of thing, and then they hire actors to record excuse me, to record the English version, but match to the image on the screen. So if it's live action, I want to match the lips exactly of the person on the screen. If it's animated, I want to match the, the lip flaps of the animated character on the screen. So it, it creates a certain uh, lilt 
and um, you can't escape the flaps. So the writing, so it has a pacing and a syncopation that you can't escape. That's why it's, things sound anime. Things sound anime because the actors are forced to fit in the rhythm of the of the mouth of of how the mouth moves, um, and the really good localization um, people are not paid enough for what they do when they can when they can break that rhythm and still make it sound natural. Like that is an artistry in itself, and dubbing is one of the hardest jobs there is, and it deserves to be paid a lot more money than it does because it is brutally difficult. And now, when I work for JRPG Games, we don't have to match the original at all we we have a lot more freedom we might have to match the the space the timing like they might say okay this line is 2.3 seconds so you need this is the line that you're going to read and we need it to fit in 2.3 seconds but that's it how i say the line as the character is completely up to my own interpretation and how i want to do it um, which is a lot more fun so i i've always preferred the freedom of localizing a game than localizing uh, and then dubbing an anime. So I stuck more to the games than to the anime, but I wasn't really getting cast in anime anyway. Um, so that's just the reality for me. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that because I no problem at, because I looked at your IMDB and I'm like, Oh, she has like a lot of anime credits. So I'm pretty sure like she did. Oh, that's interesting. Like a lot of the, <laughs> the the credits i have like at least three series are because of the games the games had anime series so i got to do those so that was great i'm like yay i'm in an anime um and then i've just done like additional voice like i did bleach uh naruto shippuden um some bardo um but like danganronpa was from because i did the series uh, she, uh, Persona was because I, I mean, the game, uh, Persona because of the game, Hyperdimension Neptunia because of the game. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was just about to ask, like, what was the dubbing process for you? Like going from, um, Western animation to doing, to dubbing, like, what was the process like for you? It was hard. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Like when the very first time I, I went from Western, cause I was doing, I was seeing a lot of Western animation. Like I did Ed, Ed, Nettie. Fat Dog, uh, Mendoza, Dragon Tales. I was doing all of those cartoons from the early 2000s in Vancouver. And then it was in Vancouver I got my first anime job. And it was, I think the first anime job was for Saber Marionette J. Or it might have been Ranma One Half and I played Kodachi. Um, but I'm pretty sure that Kodachi came after Saber Marionette J. Because I remember going into Saber Marionette J and being a young feminist female. Um, and asked to play this role of Cherry, uh, who was constantly saying things like, Master, can I draw you a bath? Like, I had an absolute meltdown in the booth. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm not playing this character. No, no, I'm not playing this chick that's, you know, doing all these, like, math, like, at that, that was the height of, it was such a misogynist era in the 90s, and it was so hard as a female to do all the, like anytime I was cast in something, dealing with men and how they looked at us and, and I was young and it was just, it was a gross period of time to be a young female for sure. And so then to go in and do this anime, I was like, and the guy who was directing was so nice. I don't even remember his name anymore, but he was so nice and so sweet. He's like, I know, I know, <laughs> you're right. I hear what you're saying, but it's a comedy. 
can we play? Can we approach it like it's a comedy? So he he literally, as a master director, um, and and it was wild because he could have just fired me. He didn't. He did. He was like, I can get you there, and uh, and he did. He got me there, and and then I and because I also I never watched anime, so I didn't understand the culture behind it. I didn't understand what they were doing. I mean, I felt the fan service, and it was the fan service that was really rubbing me the wrong way in terms of female representation because it felt misogynistic to me at the time um and and then he he managed to work around it for me and and show me other parts of the cartoon and show me the other character I was going to play Luke's and and he talked me into it and I was like oh okay 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 and then um cuz literally like she was wearing I believe a bikini made of goldfish bowls I was like what is this what is this? It was like 1997 or eight. Like I'd never seen anything like this. It was my first exposure to any of that. And, uh, and I was like, this is not, uh, you know, cartoon, cartoon. I don't understand this at all. Um, but, it, but he, it eventually I got the hang of it and then getting Kodachi and Ranma one half, that was a great character. And I really enjoyed being her. So I realized um, later, it took me a few years, I re- and and I started watching more anime. Like I, I mean, it, the anime wasn't really played on television, so I, I, you know, I went to indie theaters to see anime films that would be like I. One of my first films I ever watched was Perfect Blue, and I was like, these female characters are complex and interesting in a way that Western female characters are not doing in the '90s. Like the female characters animated in the '90s were still. You were either, you know, you were either a bitch or you were the girl that everybody wanted to sleep with, right? Like there was no complex characters. And then I would start, the more I was booking um, like these badass female warrior type characters, and that was in anime and Japanese games, I was like, wait a second, I missed the boat here. There's an entire feminist quality to anime that I had not picked up on because I was not exposed to enough content. Um, and now, obviously, I, my the tables have turned and I, I get it now. I, I understand things much better now. <laughs> I have matured. No, I mean, and, and that's that's um, and it just, that's a great, great way of putting it, because it's OK to admit that, you know, there are times where, you know, you, you, you know, you do stuff that it's like it seems weird at the, at the time and you don't get it. But then it's like, oh, no, no. Um, yeah, okay. I get it. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I learned as I went, you know, I when I wasn't exposed to much, I was very ignorant. And then as I learned more, that ignorance became knowledge and I could I could grow and change with the new information. And and that's why like I try hard to not like just generalize everybody as like, "Oh, everyone's terrible." You know, if you like this, you're terrible, blah blah blah. It's like, "No." It's it's like just because you know, anime is a medium and like every other medium, there are going to be great shows and they're going to be terrible yeah. shows. And, you know, it's just not... like Western <laughs> content. Yes. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's easy to just pick apart, like, you know, to just take like a really terrible anime and be like, Oh, all anime is terrible. Look at this thing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, that's just one show, but what about the other shows? What about Cowboy Bebop? That's one of my favorite shows of all time. And Samurai Champloo is my favorite mm-hmm. to watch. I love Samurai Champloo. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Watanabe. <laughs> Watanabe love right here. <laughs> um, 
but but yeah, it's I just don't like this idea of like especially nowadays this generalization of like just picking apart everything we don't like about certain certain media and just being like well i just think we're too into our opinions period i think our our personalities are being overdeveloped by whether we like or dislike things i'm learning like watching uh kentanji um brown jackson be confirmed uh, listening to her answers i'm like oh my gosh she has taken her personal opinion like her job is not to have a personal opinion her job is to educate herself on anything that she's learning about a case all the facts all the facts she's a fact-driven woman so she learns that, and and her capacity to take in facts and to look at all perspectives without having a personal opinion about it allows her to be a better listener allows her to be amazing judge and just listening to her talk i'm like oh my gosh that's what i want more in my own life where i just kind of like sit back and before i speak on something i don't know anything about i learn about it and that when i'm speaking on something i do know a lot about that i don't be timid about it because i get to share what i've learned through my experience of mastering an area but i am not an expert in things i am not an expert in and nor should i pretend to be that expert it's okay to say i don't know when you don't know and i think that's what's missing from you know in this day and age just people being like i'm i don't know like i just i don't know like it's yeah people just i think don't... we can all work at that i know i still need to work on that i know i do but it starts with us we can't tell other people what to do, Abdullah. It starts with you and I. If you and I right here decide to say, we're gonna be more active about saying, I don't know about things we don't know, then right there, we're giving permission for someone else to do it too. So everything starts with us. What we see in other people is usually a reflection about something about ourselves. So we need to start with ourselves. What can I shift? What can I do? How can I grow? If I'm better today, then that gives someone else to be better tomorrow. Yeah, no, I totally agree because, and, and I've said, you know, I, you know, I, like everyone else, I've said some really dumb shit in the past and <laughs> recently. I've done that too. Yeah. I have done that too, my friend. <laughs> Welcome to being human. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just real funny. Like looking, looking back at something I said, like, you know, two or three days ago, I'm like, what the, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> I know. I know. I do that all the time. And being ADHD, like absolutely blurt. And I'm like, oh no, what did I say? What did I do? But I have learned it doesn't, it's okay to make mistakes. What's important for me now is to be like, nope, I did say that. I did do that. I can take full accountability for my actions. And now I'm just getting to a place of like owning up to my missteps and every, because everybody missteps. If I own up to my misstep and say, I misspoke, I misstepped, uh, this was inappropriate, and I apologize from my heart, like genuinely meaning it, uh, then I get to move forward clear without shame and not and, and letting go of the embarrassment of that situation. Because that's all we can do. And all of us do that. I'm, I mean, make missteps and misspeak. But they're the people that don't take accountability live with embarrassment somewhere within their heart and and that's not that's not healthy that leads to depression and definitely it, it's not a self-love act it's so it's such an act of self-love to just let yourself be where you were three days ago when you said that thing three days ago and say okay i said it and, and three days later 
I have learned some stuff. And so wonderful. There's growth. Wonderful. Three days later, I've shifted. Wonderful. I get to go in a direction that's more clear for me. And, um, and, and I can forgive myself a small mistake because I know that I'm growing and learning every day. Yeah. Uh, and I totally agree with that. And I just hate this. I hate this idea that people tend to ignore the fact that personal growth is a thing that doesn't exist. I'm like, yes, it does. And I, I feel do like... not ever hear any, <laughs> who says that personal growth doesn't exist. I've never heard that. And okay. there's not a human being alive that has not said to me that they aren't, they, they've never learned anything. The only way personal growth doesn't exist is if you don't learn anything and you have to be living in a pretty dark cave to not learn anything. And I still feel you'd learn something in a pretty dark cave. So <laughs> I mean, you have to learn to make fire at some point if you're in that situation. Right, you would think, and that that in itself is growth. So it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people say. What matters is what are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you saying yourself? That's all that matters. It's why we need to just stop focusing on what you think other people are projecting out there and focus on paying attention to what it is you're doing. What do you want to say? What are the words that you use? Do you use the word hate a lot? What if you started using the word, what I love is? What if you start every sentence was, you know what I love? You know what I love instead of, you know what I hate? Because that shifts your energy. That focuses yourself on something that's more positive and supportive. And then maybe you'll see more of that in your universe. I mean, that's how quantum physics works. And, and that's an act of self-love. And I do think that self-love is a revolutionary act. Yeah, I... I... I th I feel like, you know, it's just getting harder and harder to, to you know, stay positive, you know, with, with everything going on right now and, and what happens. Well, what if instead of staying positive, you just remain neutral? Because neutral is actually a better place to be anyway. It's a more honest place because you can have both positive and negative on either side of you and acknowledge the positive things and acknowledge the negative things. But staying in neutral for me, which is like being in the moment, that's the only place that I can find contentment where I can just let myself be where I am today. And then I can see the blessings that are around me, the things that I'm grateful for. It's the things that I'm grateful for. And seeing all the negative things really highlights what I'm grateful for. So it's not about being positive. Because positive is a different, you know, just a different energy than negative. But neutral is kind of like this really safe, sacred place of just being and just feeling what you're feeling in whatever moment it is without judgment. Well, I never really thought about it that way, really. <laughs> I, I guess because that's okay. I, I guess because, like, I, I only I think in absolutes. It's like, oh, you can only be positive and you can only be negative. I've never been. You know, I've never talked to anyone who's like, you know, just be neutral. You know, you don't have. Well, to... the Taoist past, uh, there's the the Tao the the Tao Te Ching talks about that. Buddhism talks about that. Ekankar talks about that. There are a lot of spiritual paths that talk about the middle way, the middle path. That's that neutral energy. It is what is referred to in Star Wars as the life force. Is it referred to as the life force? I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah, the force, just the force. Oh, okay. Okay. That is the neutral so, path. I, I mean, I guess that makes sense, you know, but, but I mean, it's, 
Yeah, um, neutral path. It's like, because I feel like everyone nowadays, you know, taking it to back to Star Wars, everyone's like either light side or dark side, and you can know there's no in between. <laughs> um, I think you're, yeah, I think it's an apt observation. I mean, and, and I'm not saying this of like, you know, because people are probably tired of hearing about like, oh, everyone's so divided nowadays and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it's true. Like everyone is so divided. And I, I don't mean in in a political sense. I mean, just in general, like it's it's tough to just sit down and have a conversations with people anymore. It's just like everyone's either mad about something or they're just. I'm not mad about something. <laughs> I'm not complaining about anything in this conversation. I'm just sharing. We're having a conversation. No, I mean, to, uh, per, you know, we're not pers- divided. <laughs> I'm asking you to be here and right now with me. We're not, we're not having an argument. We're having a chat. We're just having a chat. <laughs> I mean, just in general for me, I, I feel like, you know, the, the more I, I notice like people are just being more, more divided and more, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I'm, I'm honestly done. Under, I'm, I'm done trying to understand the world and, and what's going on. It's just whatever. It, it is what it is. Maybe I that's guess. good. Stop <laughs> trying to understand it. Yeah. I mean, just, just don't. Just, just don't. <laughs> like that's the best let advice. It be. I've, that's the best. They so got a lot. All those songs from the '60s. You know, let it be. Let it be. <laughs> I mean, that's. Just, I mean, after like two years of dealing with you know the stupid thing that we're still dealing with. You know, I was like, you know, I don't know if I understand the world anymore. And and the best advice I got was like, don't, don't try because it's just going to, it's just going to make you more sad. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm done trying to understand the world. <laughs> exactly. Just be in this moment. Don't understand anything. Be where your heart is. Be where your hands are. That's all we can do. That's the way you avoid depression. I mean, that's all any of us can do really. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I agree. Um, look, looking back at your career, do, you know, was there ever a point where you really wanted a role and you never got it? Oh, I'm sure. Again, thousands and thousands and thousands of rejections. I'm sure there were many that I really, really wanted, but I didn't get. But I don't stay attached to them. So I wouldn't remember exactly what it was because once I don't get it, I let it go. Because it, it's, it hurts your heart to hold on to things that don't belong to you. It's not meant for me. If Otherwise, I would have gotten it. I've come really close to some really huge titles, for sure. And I didn't get them. But the actress who got them did wonderfully. Yeah, uh, I, I remember listening to an interview with someone, and, and they were like, I don't think about getting attached to my characters because then I get upset when I'm no longer playing the characters. I just let them go when I'm done. I'm like, that's, exactly. that's pretty good advice. <laughs> I mean, Monster High is on its third iteration uh, right now. And I'm sure there will be a completely new set of actresses playing the roles that I played. I can't be bitter or angry about that. That is just the art form. The IPs belong to them. If they didn't want to hire me again, I don't have control over that. I don't have control over the things I don't have control over. The only thing I have control over is to be my characters authentically for myself and to show up to work, which I have to do today, and be the best actor I can be. Deliver my characters in authentic performances. That's what I have control over. I have control over making sure I do my vocal exercises. I have control over making sure my body is warmed up. I have control over um, 
uh, reading the scripts and preparing if they sent them to me. I have control over um, how I how my characters feel depending on how the actors across from me are performing. I have I get to control the reaction, the comic timing. I get to play ping pong with these actors and and come up with something creative in the moment. I have control over my creativity and staying open to my creativity. I have control over my my own personal connection to the divine. Um, that's the only things I focus on. Everything else is I don't need to put keep or I don't need to keep my attention on everything else because it's outside of my control. And out of all the characters you've done, which would you say was the hardest role for you? The hardest role I ever did was when uh, four actors, four actresses were hired to play um, the female infected in the original Last of Us. So it was more of a soundscape thing where we, we played all different age infected, and all different types of death and all different. And psychologically, um, the direction was that when someone was infected and became one of these clickers, uh, they, their mind was still intact. So they didn't turn into some zombie in their brain. They were still fully themselves within their mind, but their the body had completely changed and this hunger develops, which was such a psychological terror thing to do. And it was really um, amazing to explore, but physically difficult to explore because there was a lot of like, I remember they asked to be, me to be on fire. I'm sure they did the other actresses as well. And when we when I was on fire, it was like, three minutes of screaming like you were on fire as one of these creatures. Like it was, it was, it was a journey and exhausting and amazing and so hard, but also so uh, brilliant because again, these were just like soundscapes that were going to be used in the background of the gameplay. They're not lead characters or anything. And the amount of detail and hard work we did to achieve what we achieved, which I think adds to a level of terror when playing the game um, you know, compliments to the chefs that, that it was brilliant. It was just brilliant. It was definitely some of the hardest work I've done, but it was so satisfying. No, um, it's funny you mentioned The Last of Us because before playing that game, I did not think that you could make clicking terrifying, but they found a way. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, they did. Like every time you hear it, it's like, oh no. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, speaking of that type of stuff, like, do, do you find that, you know, doing efforts takes a, takes a lot out of you? Yeah, that's why they're always done at the end of a session. They, they can, well, they're the most throat ripping because it's really hard to vocally support some, like, screaming on fire, you're going to rip your throat. Um, you know, different, like, I don't rip my throat. I, I, I'm vocally trained enough and I have enough breast support and diaphragm training to be able to do like sword fighting and that sort of stuff and the and the, all that kind of stuff. But there are certain areas of efforts um, that when they get into the hot zone uh, and they know what they are now, like we, we fought in the last video game strike, we fought so that we would separate the throat ripping efforts from regular efforts and that, you know, that period of time of doing those throat ripping things that we would be shortened so that we wouldn't damage our vo voice permanently. So yeah, it's, it, yes, it's, it's uh, when I finish a video game session, I'm usually soaking wet and it's like I've been in a gym for four hours. Yeesh. <laughs> but that's the gig. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, I don't. I, it, it just it just feels weird to me because I remember back when the strike was going was going on, you had like these people who were like, you had like one or two people who were like, oh, you know, I don't know why these people are so why these voice actors are striking. Blah, well, blah, they, blah. why it's would they scary. know? They don't do that job. Yeah, Anybody it's, who it's, does, again, again, it comes down to uh, the opinion of someone who doesn't know what it is that I do. I don't expect them to understand. It's okay that they don't understand. It's okay that they don't like it because they don't understand. That's fine. It's okay. I understand why you don't understand. That's fine. Yeah, but but I mean, it just it just kind of it just bugged me because it's like, look, I. I <laughs> And 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 what's what's annoying is that you know you guys were pretty much upfront about what you were striking about and what you know you wanted, and instead of just listening, people were like, oh, I don't know why they're what they're. Complaining but Abdullah, about. it doesn't matter what they said because we got what we wanted. Yeah, I know. You understand? I mean. Like, so it doesn't matter what other people's opinions are when people are striking for their own benefits. It matters what what out what we say as a collective as union members. The opinion of union members is what matters to me. It, the people doing the job, the opinion of the people doing the job is what matters to me. So the fact that we were able to stand together and support each other, that's what I got out of that experience. Not the naysayers. I don't expect the naysayers to understand. Not the producers. I understand why the producers were fighting it. I know that it came down to their bottom line and it did not serve them. And not all of for the producers, by the way, it was only a very top tier removed amount of people who also didn't know what it is that we do on the daily because they're not in the room with us when we record. So the people who are in the room, the people that knew, knew. And so and I think we did educate a lot of people about what we do through that strike in a way that nobody had a clue what we did before that. And now they have a better understanding. So some information you know, was was presented to the public in a way that the public had never received before. And I thought that was a really good thing as well. Um, but the bottom line is uh, the only people who are really going to know are the people who are there. Right. You know, when you do it, like with anything in life. Yeah, that, that's why I, I'm I wasn't like, oh, oh, they're just doing the doing it because of this or that, because I wasn't there. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what you yeah, guys were right. going through. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I just listened to what, what, what the whole thing was and I'm like, okay, you know, I hope they get what they want. And I just moved on with my day. You know, I didn't like exactly stress over it. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly, I, I just feel like nowadays people just stress over like everything and everything has to become like complaining about stuff apparently is like an identity now. And it's like, Oh God. Well, you, that sounded like a complaint, Abdullah. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but who complains about the complainers? That's... <laughs> That's your job. That's your job to complain about the complainers. You're doing a great job. <laughs> You're doing a great job of like, you know, just like powering through all my bullshit. <laughs> episode well no you're human i feel like everything you're saying is so normal and human and we all have we all we all experience that you know i get to be today i get to play the other side of you i get to point out that there's another side that there's there's other things you can focus on you know and by saying that to you i'm saying it to myself too right no and and i'm and i'm all for that i mean i like being you know hearing different opinions i don't i don't like people just to come on here and be like oh i agree with you yeah 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 blah 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 i, I like mm. i like hearing different points of view because and, and i've right. had people on who, 
who've told me like, well, the reason this thing you're complaining about is the way it is is because X, Y, Z. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it that way because again, I'm not, I'm not business savvy enough to understand the ins and outs of everything. So it's like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, that's why you ask the questions. That's why you <laughs> ask the questions so you can learn more. That's yeah. what the questions are for. And that's what I love about the show is like, you know, you can have a, I can have a great conversation and learn stuff that I did not know previously because it's not Yay! just. <laughs> you know, Yay I, for learning for all of us. I, I love learning new stuff. I'm like, oh, I did not think about it that way before. Oh, okay. And, and I feel like. You know, to me, it's like you're never too old to to stop learning. Like I, I, I don't think I'll ever get get to a point in my life where I'm where I'm like, oh, I've I know everything there is to know about life because I'm still, I love learning new things. Uh, personally, I, and, and I, I do too. And I, I do too. I feel that. And I yeah, because just, just there's your... so much to learn. There's so much to learn. <laughs> yeah, there's just way too much knowledge in the universe, and I don't think anybody knows everything. And that's. That's another well, thing. it's not even the knowledge. What I'm finding I learn the most from is other people's experiences. There's so many points of view and so many life experiences that people have lived that I've definitely moved away from, um, you know, just general opinions, but going to what have you experienced? Tell me your story and learning about people through them telling their story and their personal experience. I learned so much about an area based on someone's personal experience of something. Not to say that I don't want to learn facts as well, because I absolutely love facts. I love, I love um, theses. I love, I love reading up on, on different things from people who are putting all of their heart and soul in studying um, an area. Um, but that isn't that isn't like a scientist studying a particular area, just them documenting the experience that they are working with. Right. So I love all of that. I love all of that. I do too. I love learning new things. And whenever I get the chance, I love reading articles and just, you know, finding out stuff I didn't know about before, like listening to yeah. interviews, just like getting, getting, yeah. a good getting a good understanding of who a person is, is, I, is what I love about doing this show is because I want to know, you know, you, we can sit here all day and talk about all the characters you voice, but I'm like, who is Aaron Fitzgerald though? You know, what, what makes her tick what's her story let me know, you know? when you find out <laughs> <laughs> because and, I, and i've listened to some other interviews you've done and i it's kind of mesmerizing really like just listening to you talk and oh like, man oh god are, i hope like, that's not bad <laughs> <laughs> no it's pretty it's pretty amazing because it's like man you know this lady knows her shit <laughs> She knows her <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, that's nice to be thought of that way. Because I don't feel like I know my shit, but thank you. <laughs> uh, because, uh, I, and I love like, as I was listening to an interview when, you know, the subject of, you know, uh, voiceover classes that you do was brought up. And I think you said along the lines of like, you were, uh, do, you were doing classes because you wanted to teach people stuff that, that, um, that wasn't being taught anywhere else or something towards yeah. that, that, towards yeah. that. And I'm like, it, yeah that's that's a pretty interesting way to go about it because like yeah more people should be doing that i mean if you're going to start a class teach people stuff that they they're not going to find anywhere else because everyone's well it's for me because i feel like everybody all the classes that i'm aware of they they really focus on the on the, on you know your audition and booking a job and the and the business itself so there's plenty of people providing that service 
And that's, that's not the area that lights me up. The area that lights me up is watching people connect with their own creative process and birthing new characters. That lights me up. Watching someone tune into their own intuitive creativity and letting that power drive a vehicle of creating a character as opposed to letting their computer of a brain try to make creative choices. Um, I like connecting people with their five-year-old creative self. I like, I like removing the business part of it and focusing just on the craft part of it. I also, my, my coaching sessions are about creating a pro a space for process, which you don't get by acting behind the mic. You uh, acting behind the mic is very much show up and perform, right? So people go to classes and they, they showing up to perform for the coach. I'm like, no, I'm not about that. I'm, I'm about let's find a process that works for you that you can use to create characters that isn't performance. It's about exploration. And that's something that you get in the theater. You get process, you get rehearsals, you get exploration. You even get that for film, not television so much, but definitely for film. You get process, you get exploration, you get to work for months on a character. You don't get that in voiceover. So you need to be able to create that process for yourself at home in a place that's safe where nobody is watching you and nobody is judging you, especially turning off that judgment within yourself so that you can freely explore without judgment a, a character that might be nothing like you because our self judgment gets in the way and then the judgments of others get in the way so that I provide a safe space for that, for, for playing and creating. And was there ever a moment where someone came in and surprised you with what you every know, time, every time, every time I'm blown away. Every time I get the goosebumps, every time I get to see someone discuss, my favorite is their facial expression afterwards when they go, I had, their face says, well, they don't say it out loud, but their face says, I didn't even know I could do that. That's what lights me up. And then that, that thrills me to the core. That's why I do it. That's the reason why I'm coaching is that feeling. It's that feeling. And another thing I want to point out is that, you know, I, I love the, I love seeing veterans of the industry prep the next generation of, of voice actors because it's oh, like, yeah, it's, I love that. It, it should I love, be like I, this. It's amazing that I'm a veteran. Like <laughs> you're right. Like that's just something that, cause I turned 50 this year. So it's just, it's really just, it's the penny is dropping that I am the vet now. I'm, I've been in this industry for a core, a, a quarter of a decade, a quarter of a century. Yeah. A quarter of a century. And I'm, I am the veteran and I do have experience that I can pass on. So I love that you said that out loud because it's just something that's dawning on me now. It should have probably sooner, but like, I'm like, oh, I am a mature woman. I can use the term mature woman for myself now. I'm a mature woman, which is definitely not something I would have used before. <laughs> so it's exciting, this new phase I'm entering. I kind of dig it. It's pretty dope. Now, I, I mentioned that because like, again, Ed, Ed, and Eddie was a long time ago. <laughs> I know it was. It really was. Yeah. Again, it, really it reminds me, it reminds me of this uh, Chris Rock bit from like 2004 in one of his specials, where it's like I'm ex I'm I'm this year's old, and he's like, New Jack City was a long time ago. That's it. That's it. A quarter of a a quarter of a century ago. Yeah. Because that's what blows my mind. Is like, yeah, I. And, you know, not to make you feel old, but it's like, yeah, I remember. No, I don't being... mind. My meat suit is old. I'm timeless. <laughs> no, because I remember as a kid, 
watching Ed and Eddie and, you know, laughing and just loving that show. And I remember like when that show aired, I was like nine years old. And when that show ended, I was like 19 years old. So it's like, that's right. (laughs) I did that show for 10 years of my life, 10 years. I did monster high for seven years of my life. I'm on year four of Storybots. I have been very blessed. I've been very blessed with the cartoons I've been on. And, you know, when I had Matt Hill on and we were talking about Ed and Eddie, and I said this on that episode, Ed and Eddie is like one of the only shows that had a definitive ending that I feel I felt was perfect. And you don't need any continuation, no continuation. Well, he he had the option, right? Danny had the option. Cartoon Network uh, gave him the option of another season or a feature. And he decided that he would do a feature and he would wrap up the series because he felt it was time. And it was Danny's choice. The creator made that decision. So the network didn't. And because Danny knew an end was coming because it usually ends up, you know, where it happens out of the blue and you don't expect it and you don't get an ending. And he wanted to make sure that there was an ending for him, which was, you know, again, his artistry levels are you know, unfathomably genius. Yeah, and in a weird way, looking at that at that show, like when that show ended, I was you know almost an adult. You know, I was like you know nineteen years old. Yeah, nineteen. Like, you were adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, man, <laughs> you know, it was a it was a great way to not. It was not only a great finale, but it was also a great way to bookend you know you know your childhood because like yeah you know yeah you've been with oh, these characters. Oh, that's so poetic. You know you've been with these characters for like ten years and now I it's time. That. And I realize like you know that's why like I you know I still love the show. It's still fun, but I'm not I'm not nostalgic for it in a way that where it's like it's all it's my entire identity. You know it's 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 yeah. a fun show. I love it. But it's not my identity. It does not define who I am as a person. Like, well, it something. definitely it defined my twenties because I was hired in my early twenties and it ended in my early thirties. It <laughs> defined that that period of time. Yeah, I'm as I'm I'm as old as you are now. When, when that show <laughs> now I feel old. <laughs> it was epic. It's the, you know the things that we consume define periods of time for us. We can't help it. Um, yeah. It's it's a way to it's a way to track time. It's just another way to track time. And it's just it's just weird looking up people that you used to watch as a kid and realizing, oh man, they're all they're almost like in their sixties and seventies. <laughs> Dude, I'm not there. I'm fifty this year. I'm fifty this year. I'm excited for the big five oh, but I'm still not even fifty. I'm forty nine right now. So I'm I'm like I'm trying to be like, okay, I'm I keep looking to fifty. I'm like I'm wondering if there's gonna be a change or a difference. I'm excited for it. I feel like it could be it could be like new levels unlocked, you know? Level up. I mean, I think when you when you reach fifty, it's like okay, that's the age when everyone expects you to be like, okay, you don't have to keep up with anything anymore. You can just <laughs> really because I don't feel that at all. I feel that the pressure as a female is that now I'm expected to work much harder, and it's going to be much more difficult because um, because I'm not I'm not the right age anymore. So there is there's it's either yeah, I, I do not feel like I'm allowed to give up at all. I feel I feel a lot of pressure to keep going and to build for the generations coming up, particularly women. 
Oh yeah, I, 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 I yeah, I, and that was another. And that's another thing I didn't really think about is like, you rarely. That's okay. See, you I mean, don't have to. That's what I'm supposed to think about, not you. Because <laughs> you, you rarely see a lot of women in the industry like over the age of fifty. And I mean, there are exceptions. Because we are asked because... to step down. Yeah, like basically, we are. It's assumed that we will go away after we hit fifty. Like once you hit menopause, you are basically asked to remove yourself from the from the industry. And a lot of women have but i think that right now those of us who are just coming into that now are like no we're not going anywhere you better start creating work for us we're here and we're available and people want to see these characters especially the younger women they want to see themselves represented where we are so they have something they can build towards and they they like honestly there were no um i mean the golden girls were in their 50s when i was younger so, and and that felt like an old folks home so i was like uh is that what is going to happen when i turn 50 i'm going to live with a bunch of girlfriends and basically be retired like what that that wasn't reality for me i didn't get to see women you know be be the age i'm currently at and exist that weren't you know labeled old biddies and grandmas and like which there's nothing wrong with being a grandma but i'm like not there yet you know my mom is 72 my mom is still active and my mom doesn't even resemble the golden girls <laughs> you know what i'm saying so i feel like television has lied to me about this whole period of time and i would very much like to redefine it for the younger generations because uh what we've seen thus far has not been accurate i do love frank grace and frankie i feel like that's more accurate i'm like yeah okay that's more realistic even though it's absurd and wonderful. No, I just, I, I, yeah, you know, bring up a great point in that, you know, as a kid, you know, in the 90s, you know, growing up watching all these te television shows, I got the impression like, oh, life was always like that, you know? And it's right, like, no. me too. <laughs> me too. I feel like we've been lied to, Abdullah. Dude, that's nuts. Because it's like, oh, you mean like uh, people live off minimum wage, don't, can't afford all the things that they afford on TV? What? I know, right? <laughs> what is this retirement thing that I've heard so much about? I'm like, nobody I know can afford to retire. Like, that is the biggest fallacy imaginable. I don't know anybody who can retire unless you work for the government. Then you get that nice, juicy pension. Oh, yeah. Reti isn't it weird? Like, bring up a great point. Isn't it weird? Like, we're living in a time when retirement isn't even a thing anymore. So no, I will be working until I croak. Thank you. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just so weird to me. It's like, because it's like, yeah, all the people I remember growing up listening to are still working. Like, they're still there. There was never that point where it's like, oh, well, I'm at that, you know, I'm 50 or whatever. I can retire now. <laughs> right. It's like, no. <laughs> Yeah. Well, shoot, I saw on TikTok, I saw Smokey Robinson is out on tour at 82. 82, that man is out on tour. I'm like, that's working. That's working. Because why should you, why do you have to go away? You don't have to go away if you still have something to offer. I mean, I, I said this before. In if a people are showing up, yeah. get it. Yeah, I mean, I said this before in a previous episode, but like Tom Kenny is almost 60 and he's still playing SpongeBob. So it's like, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And but men have always been afforded the gift of still working until like their 70s. I know this because I worked for a lot of men in their 60s and their 70s when I first moved to L.A. It was never any women in that age group that I saw. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the sad reality. I mean, looking at the American Senate. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, so it's interesting. And I think we're changing things. I think we're changing things. And I love that we're changing things. And I'm very proud of us. And I'm part of that change as a Gen Xer. I get to be the change I want to see in the world. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, there are always going to be, be, be people who complain about that. And I was like, well, tough shit. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, either, I'm here. Like either I exist. Yeah, you either learn to adapt to change or you can just sit there and cry about it. And there exactly. you go. Like, you know, yep. it's, it's like the world is changing. And like, again, it's like, it's when people complain about, oh, well, the show's, you know, all oh, this show isn't as good as as it was when I when I was a kid. And it's like, well, you got to understand, yeah, a lot of the shows... the world isn't the same as when you were yeah, a kid. Yeah, yeah. And you also aren't the same as you were when you were a kid. So, you know, all the content you've seen between you being a kid in this moment has changed your perspective on everything. It's a fascinating thing. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I totally agree with you. And I just I just wanted to point out that like times change, people change, the world around you, around around you changes. Yeah. And you, you, you have two choices, either you adapt to it or you can just sit and cry about it. And, and that's all yeah. you can do. Like there is no like there is no in between with with that case. It's like, you know, either adapt to change or don't. And yeah, you know, if you don't adapt to it, then it's it's done. Exactly. Okay. All right. Um, As we wrap up, uh, where can people find you online? And uh, can you give us an update on what you're currently working on? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm on Twitter. That's where I hang. I like Twitter because I like I like to I just tweet. So Aaron Fitzgerald on Twitter, Aaron Fitzgerald on Twitch. I, I game sometimes. Um, I don't post much on TikTok. Don't follow me on TikTok. I just lurk. Uh, I don't really. And my oh, my website is AaronFitzBadass.com. That's where you can see all of my credits, samples of my work, anything like that. You can find out about my uh, private one-on-one coaching there, AaronFitzBadass.com. And I'm currently uh, this last year, it's been all lot of Storybots content and some more Blizzard content. So. Um, they, they haven't been, none of it's been released yet. So I don't really even know when that's going to happen, but this year should be the Storybots content should come out. I'm very proud of the Storybots content. I'm not sure when, but just keep your eyes peeled on Netflix junior on YouTube and on Netflix, uh, for the Storybots stuff. And that's for kids. Although I watch it for comfort. It's a great comfort show. If you need a comfort show, that's a really good educational comfort show. And then the Blizzard stuff. I don't even know what the real titles of the games are. I don't really know what I'm working on. And I don't know when they come out. So I'll keep you guys posted on Twitter as soon as I find out. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time up to do this. And, you know, You're we got to do this Thank again sometime because this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. This was great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.